Hello and welcome to the Let It Matter podcast. I'm your host, Kelly Wolf. Here at Let It Matter, we seek to make space for and honor what matters to us as individuals, as communities, and as beloved children of God. The Bible tells us in 1 Peter 5 to cast our cares on God because God cares for us. That tells me that God cares about what we care about. In their song of the same title, the group Johnny Swim offers this invitation. If it matters, let it matter. So that's what we're going to do. I invite you to join me for the next half hour as we make space, honor, celebrate, or lament, and as we name what matters. Okay, hello and welcome to this episode of Let It Matter Podcast. I am so excited about today's episode. Um, One thing that I want to make sure to do in uh, this show is to bring some solo episodes that um, are, there aren't any guest interviews, but it is, um, it's just me sort of sharing things uh, that I'm passionate about. And so just a little bit of context for this episode, I, um, back when I originally started my website and my blog, Let It Matter in, I'd say early, no, it was probably 2020. Um, I pretty quickly started doing a blog series um, inspired by the late Rachel Held Evans' work around um, Proverbs 31 and the um, Eshet Hayel, the woman of valor. And so I started doing a series on my blog about um, women of valor in scripture. And over time, um, my church then asked me to teach that as uh, sort of adult spiritual formation. And so I, um, I wrote out an eight-week series for Women of Valor. And, um, and this today that I'm going to bring you guys is, um, I don't think it's the finale episode, like the final week, but it is the, the penultimate. So what we're going to be talking about is uh, the image of, and image bearers of God, and the ways that a lot of times Genesis 1 and 2 get mistranslated and so much gets lost about the image of God, including the female image of God and God as mother, as well as um, what everything that's happening in Genesis 2 with the creation of the man and the woman, the earthling, the man and the woman, I should say. Um, and so if that just parked your ears up, stay with me. I promise I'm not going to... Um, I'm not going off the deep end here. Just stay with me, and um, and that'll make sense later on. So I um, I'm going to be bringing you guys essentially the the three sections of that spiritual formation class. The first one being about the image of God and who God is. The second section being the um, the man and the woman in God's image. Uh, and then the final one being just what I what I hope you'll take away from it. So I really hope this blesses you. I'm going to start off by reading the text um, from Scripture that the first section is sort of based on, and you guys should are likely familiar with it. It's Genesis 1, 1 through 2. I'm reading from the NIV. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. And darkness was over the surface of the deep. The Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Now, let's get into it. God created each of us in God's own image and likeness, which tells us a lot about ourselves, which we'll get to in a bit. But first, it tells us a lot about God's image and likeness, about God. Genesis 1.27 says, So God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. 
This means that the full image of God is not represented by men alone or by women alone. In the church, in our English Bible translations, and in our liturgies, hymnals, and prayer books, we use almost exclusively male language and pronouns for God. This is certainly not wrong, but it is incomplete. God makes clear that male and female together bear the full image of God. Dr. Wilda Gaffney points out that a better translation, more true to all that exists in the Hebrew, for Genesis 1, 1 through 2, is, When beginning, he, God, created the heavens and the earth. The earth was shapeless and formless, and bleakness covered the face of the deep, while the Spirit of God, she, fluttered over the face of the waters. The Hebrew word for the Spirit of God is a feminine word, and many Jewish people refer to the Spirit as she in their readings and teachings. Some scholars point out when God reveals the divine name, represented in English as the capital Y-H-W-H, to Moses in Exodus 3, the word is made up of two syllables, the first having a feminine grammatical ending, and the second having a masculine grammatical ending. God's personal name in the Hebrew scriptures is a perfect reflection of what Genesis 1.27 says about God's whole image being reflected in male and female. Many of the writers of the Hebrew scriptures use names, words, and titles for God that are feminine Hebrew words, used not interchangeably, but interdependently alongside masculine Hebrew uh, words, pronouns, and titles for God. Additionally, God refers to God's self in the feminine, lang- and the feminine with language and uh, analogy repeatedly. Let's just take a look at a few examples here. Isaiah 42, 14. The Lord says, For a long time I have said nothing. I have been quiet and held myself back. But now I will cry out and strain like a woman giving birth to a child. Isaiah 49, 14 through 15. But Zion said, The Lord has forsaken me. The Lord has forgotten me. But I say, Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. Isaiah 66, 11 through 13. You will take comfort from her and be satisfied as a child is nursed by its mother. You will receive her good things and enjoy her wealth. This is what the Lord says. I will give her peace that will flow to her like a river. The wealth of the nations will come to her like a river overflowing its banks. Like babies, you will be nursed and held in my arms and bounced on my knees. I will comfort you as a mother comforts her child. You will be comforted in Jerusalem. Hosea 11, 3-4 says, It was I who taught Ephraim to walk, taking them by the arms, but they did not realize it was I who healed them. I led them with cords of human kindness, with ties of love. To them, I was like one who lifts a little child to the cheek, and I bent down to feed them. Interestingly, the cords of human kindness, ties of love, language there in the Hebrew is actually umbilical cords. Psalm 131 verse 2 says, uh, But I am calm and quiet like a baby with its mother. I am at peace like a baby with its mother. 
Matthew 23, 37, Jesus says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who were sent to you, how often I wanted to gather your people together, just as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you didn't want that. Luke 15, verses 8 through 10 says, Or what woman, if she owns ten silver coins and loses one of them, won't light a lamp and sweep the house, searching her home carefully until she finds it? When she finds it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Celebrate with me, because I've found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, Joy breaks out in the presence of God's angels over one sinner who changes both heart and life. Interestingly about Luke 15, it's sandwiched, that last passage, it is sandwiched between the other two parables, one of um, of the prodigal son and one of the lost sheep, in both of which God is referred to as a male, a shepherd, and a father. And we have no problem uh, assuming that that language is what God is intending to to represent for God's self, that God is a male shepherd and God is a father. Uh, but for some reason, this text right in the middle gets swept over as if it's just analogy. It's important also to remember that, quote, masculinity and, quote, femininity are social constructs that vary based on location, culture, time period, and more. For this second section, I'm going to be reading Genesis 2, 7 through 8, and 15 through 25. I'll be reading from the NIV. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. Verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree of the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. I wanted to read you that version, the NIV, and there's, I mean, I could have picked any one of them, but contrary to popular readings of this text and the standard ideas we have about Adam and Eve, oh, there is so much more going on here and than many of us notice. Um, in our defense, it's because it's all going on in the Hebrew language, and our English translations have butchered this section for generations now. More modern translations like the CEB have begun to translate it more accurately, which is great. Um... There's a wordplay evident in Hebrew that isn't sort of readily identifiable in English. 
God creates the earth and then takes the dust of the earth and creates a human. But a better word here is something like earthling. The dust of the earth, ha'adama, is very similar to the word for the human or the earthling, ha'adam. The Hebrew word adam or adam does not appear until several verses later and will serve as the name of the first human male, but also refers to mankind. The first human is not gendered in the text, but contains within it what will be called woman, isha, and what will be called man, ish. God made the first human, but sees that they are alone, and for the first time, after two and a half chapters, God declares that something he created is not good. After the poetic rhythm and refrain of Genesis 1, 3 through 25, where God creates and then declares, and it was good. It's like a record scratch when we read for the first time God saying, it is not good for man, mankind, for the human to be alone. I will make a partner suitable for them. The word I've used here, partner, is better, but it's still incomplete as a translation of the Hebrew words azer kenegdo. Some English translations say helper or help meet. Thank you to the KJV. This too is insufficient. Communicated in these two words is a combination of two ideas. First, that of twin pillars, both holding up a structure by bearing equal weight and depending on the other to perform its function so that the whole structure can stand. Second, the word azer is used elsewhere in the Bible to describe God as warrior coming alongside Israel in its various battles so that they would prevail. It is not simply just to help, which can connote inferiority or hierarchy for both parties, depending on how you look at it. But in that context, God partners with Israel to accomplish God's purposes, and those purposes could not be accomplished apart from God's help. In the same way, God created humans to be communal, social, and interdependent. <clears throat> Importantly, this text and this word choice isn't even primarily about marriage, despite being discussed almost exclusively as a way of prescribing only heterosexual marriage as God's good design. God's design was much more general than that. It was about partnership and community and God's goodness being unwilling to leave us in loneliness. So God then anesthetizes the human and takes from one of its sides. By the way, there's little to no scholarly support for translating that Hebrew word as rib. Um, making the one earthling into two people. So taking one side into a woman and one side becomes the man. It is not until Genesis 2.22 that the gendered Hebrew words for man and woman appear in the text. I think that's incredibly important. The Judeo-Christian version of humankind's origin story is that a loving and personal God who strolls on earth in the garden to commune with God's creation, who's the source of all goodness, did not stop creating until they could say it is very good about all of it. So out of one earthling came the two, male and female, according to their kind, and the two rejoiced with the man saying, at last you are like me, we are the same. We are of one another, and even our names will indicate that we are the same and distinct, alike and varied. It was not good to be alone, and now this is good. Obviously, I'm paraphrasing. 
The two lived together with the animals, working and tending the garden, naked and unashamed because sin had not entered the picture yet. There's a Hebrew word that encompasses this intimate, personal, sinless, shameless existence in communion with God and without hierarchy or inequality among the humans. Shalom. Perfect shalom. There are three main takeaways I want uh, to make sure get communicated from, from this idea. First, the generality of God's intent in creating the partner and creating an Azer Konegdo um, versus the idea that God intended only marriage in that context in Genesis 2. Um, it, it shows the diversity of God's creation, giving us more than just one way to live and fall within the blessing of it is good. Natural families, adoptive families, friends who become family, friendships, romantic partnerships, communities of faith, churches, villages, co-workers and colleagues, bands, teams, platoons, school classes, recovery groups, fraternities and sororities, senior living and activity centers, and many others fall under the umbrella of solution to the problem of mankind being alone. God has given us myriad ways to have community and interdependence in everything from our work and worship to our rest and play and still be operating according to design. The next thing is that many people and faith groups use Genesis 1 and 2 as a weapon against queer, trans, non-binary, asexual, and intersex people as if their personhood is excluded from the it is good or from the original design. Not only is this not at all what these scriptures are saying, it is in fact antithetical. Genesis 1 tells us, for example, there was evening and there was morning the first day, and God saw that it was good. But we know that there is more than just evening and morning. There's midnight, early watches, dawn, noon, and dusk. There are 24 hours in a day, but Genesis only says evening and morning are good. In this comparison, we can easily see that God was not making exclusions, setting up boundaries for God's blessing. Verses 23 through 25 of Genesis 1 is a poem. It's a rhythmic process of speaking, creating, gathering, separating, blessing, and repeating. Any other use of this text, especially to harm those created in God's image too, is egregious and unsubstantiated. And finally... Our God is a God of and in relationship. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have eternally existed in three equal persons with one essence in loving, delighting relationship to one another. God, from the first day humans walked this earth, existed in relationship with humans that was intimate and personal, delighting, providing, blessing, upholding, sustaining, teaching, making and keeping promises, and loving all creation. The imagery and reality of God as father and the imagery and reality we looked at today of God as mother communicates more than God's gender. It communicates God's love, God's delight, God's attentiveness, and God's wrath toward things that harm those God loves. God describes God's self as a mother who lifts her baby to her cheek a mother who teaches her children how to walk, a mother hen who gathers those she loves under her wings to protect them, a father who knows how to give good gifts to his children, a father who watches always for those who have wandered away to return home, 
and then runs to celebrate them and restore them to their true identity as child. 1 John 3, 1 says, See how much the Father loves us. He loves us so much that we are called children of God. I want to urge you not to get hung up on what pronoun, title, or name to call God in order to be, quote, correct, but rather to get down below all of that to what God is communicating about God's self by using parental titles and imagery with us. That God is the source and sustainer of life and that we are unimaginably loved. Okay, so that was a lot I just threw at you in 20 minutes, but I hope it served you in one way or another and that you'll go back and listen to and wrestle with and consider any parts that you may have felt confused or uneasy about. I will link in the show notes several excellent books and scholars whose work I drew from heavily in the preparation for teaching this as a spiritual formation class. I will also link for those of you that would prefer or need it for accessibility reasons. There is an almost verbatim version of this on the Let It Matter blog, so I'll check that out if it would serve you. If you have thoughts or feedback about this episode, please share them. You can comment or DM on Instagram at Let It Matter Podcast or use the contact form on letitmatter.com as well, and I will get those. If you haven't yet and you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or Spotify, wherever you listen, if you would go and hit that subscribe or follow button, if you would leave me a review, I would so appreciate it. It helps a ton. Um, especially as we're just getting started out here. It's a huge help. So thank you for that. As we close out, I'm going to pray over us the prayer I wrote for when I taught this at my church. So I hope you are blessed by it. We praise you, God, that you both fully encompass and fully transcend our limited constructs of male and female, masculine and feminine, to show us that all expressions of your image and likeness, your nature and your character are good and holy. God, may we never call unholy or bad or cursed the very ones over whom you have spoken the words. It is very good. And now, as you have invited us, your beloved children, we are bold to pray. Our parent, who dwells in heaven and in each one of us, holy is your name. May your kingdom come in fullness and your loving will be done on earth, just like it is in heaven through your partnership with us and our partnership with one another. Continue to provide for and uphold us daily in your love and in your mercy, forgive us when we sin. Protect us from all that seeks to steal, kill, and destroy us and guide our paths away from all harm. Glory to the one who brings all to birth, to love's embodiment, and to the sacred breath, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen.